Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is a special edition. We are coming into Resurrection Week. We have the Scramble. That's our big outreach on Saturday from 1030 to 130. We're inviting the public in. We invite you in for games, jump houses, all kinds of excitement. And then next Friday is our Good Friday service. Visit our website, www.hillside.org, and learn about it. And then is Easter Sunday with our three services. And because of that, we've got our hands full. And so what we're going to do today, Mark, is you're going to be our DJ, and you're going to play an oldie but goodie podcast. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds good. I'm super excited about all the things that we have coming up here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always good to remember the things that have been said and, and listen to those. And so uh, let's listen to this podcast. Take it away. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby, Out of My Mind. This is a podcast where we have a biblical conversation about some issue challenging our crazy world in which we live. We believe that the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence, and we use the Bible to interpret the world around us and make sense of that existence. God's Word enables us to see things as they are. So join us now over the next 25 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of some issue facing our culture or your life or the church with a capital C. Now, at the end of the podcast, if you want to dig deeper, we'll point you to additional resources at our website so that you can dig in and learn more. In the meantime, let's get started. As always, my name is Keith Crosby. I'm the lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California, and I'm joined in studio with Mark Stickler, one of our student ministries pastors. We serve at Hillside, and we're happy to serve you today. Today's topic is when a loved one leaves the faith, and that is a tough, tough, tough topic. Yeah, it sure is, and uh, I know when we originally discussed this, we talked about um, the title Deconstructing Deconversion. Yeah. And so so why change it to uh, almost make it a little more personal? You know, and this sounds kind of trite and maybe a little bit corny, but you might say my pastor's heart overrode my uh, marketing side, mm. so to speak. Uh, deconstructing deconversion might sound a little more current or a little more hip. Deconstruction is something associated with postmodernism where you take an issue apart and reduce it to its simplest form. Deconversion is a, is a phenomena today. It's sort of the atheist uh, testimony. A lot of times Christians will seemingly convert to atheism and they describe it as deconversion. And you know, this is complicated by the fact that uh, sometimes things are not as they appear. Someone may appear outwardly to be a Christian. They may come up in a Christian home. They may be churched. But eventually, either through the educational system or, or some situation or circumstance, the inner person is revealed. In an increasingly aggressive culture today, uh, you know, particularly with the whole critical theory, uh, critical race theory, intersectionality uh, phenomena, uh, these aggressive cultural forces are putting heat on people and the real person comes out from the inside. And so that's kind of where that comes from. So I just wanted to be more pastoral. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something uh, I see quite a bit uh, in student ministries with uh, students that uh, look like, you know, they're solid Bible-believing Christians. Um, they walk out of the youth group and then they walk into the colleges and 
at some point they get deconverted, uh, right? Um, and uh, and so I think it's a really important topic and something that that does weigh heavily on my heart as well. I'm, I'm sure uh, most church-going people, parents especially, that are going to send their kids off. And so the past few episodes of this podcast, we've talked about a few different things like intersectionality um, and what that's doing in the church. And then we kind of looked at what it's doing in the universities mm-hmm. and how it's affecting this deconversion. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like we've kind of got this theme running here through these first few podcasts. Um, so how do you, you want to talk a little bit about how those all connect with each other? Sure. As you know, we're hosting a, a conference here. This is part of the pre-conference filming the podcast, uh, Race to Reconciliation. A lot of this is tied into the whole critical theory, intersectionality thing. And uh, Dr. Neil Shinvey, who will be speaking, he'll be speaking our second week of this conference. I remember watching one of his online presentations, and he followed a series of tweets as they evolved or devolved, probably be a better word, where the Christian or the, the apparent Christian began making what seemed to be overtly uh, evangelical yet critical theory-esque uh, comments. And then over time, as they got deeper and deeper into this whole ideology and philosophy, the comments ended at the end of this series of tweets with them denying the faith. As I sensed this, this playing out, this really kind of ties into uh, deconversion and racial pre- profiling and how that affects the church. And then when we did that last podcast on death of uh, Christian higher education, you could begin to see where these cultural catalysts uh, began to uh, reveal what was really inside of people. You know, God uses a lot of different means to uh, reveal the heart of a man or a woman. And sometimes it's a political ideology that they become enthralled with. Sometimes it's a crisis that befalls them or a trial. And what we see eventually is that in some cases, uh, a professing Christian had a much wider pantheon of gods than we would have thought. And that pantheon is revealed through a certain situation, circumstance, or a philosophy that they embrace. And Shinvi's continuum of tweets sort of ties into that, and it sort of ties into this whole larger conference that we had, because really, 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us there's only room for one God in our lives. You see that in Exodus uh, 20 and Deuteronomy 5, you shall have no other gods before me, and what fellowship does light have with darkness? And so this all sort of plays in together, because people or sort of like tubes of toothpaste. Uh, what's inside of them will come out eventually, particularly if you squeeze them. There are sometimes people liken them into bags of tea. You put them in hot water and the tea comes out. The tea was always there. It's the hot water that releases the tea. And sometimes it's the embrace of a philosophy or the collision with a certain uh, consequence or trial that shows the true heart of a person. Yeah, I know I've seen, you know, we, there's plenty of examples of where this has happened. I think of a, a pastor who was really impactful, especially for my generation, um, Josh Harris, like he wrote this book, you know, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And I know I remember a lot of the guys that I lived with in college and stuff, they swore by that book. You know, he comes all the way to just completely denying the faith. And then you have other different YouTube celebrities uh, who used to be with Campus Crusade, uh, which is crew now, or or people like uh, Marty Sampson, an active member of Hillsong, sure, sure. Um, who have all kind of come out and publicly denounced their faith, yep. um, saying that, you know, I had this faith and now I don't have this faith. I guess the larger question 
on this that I constantly turn over, especially as a student ministries pastor, is, is what happened. Like, where, where do we, what do we make from all this? Um, where did it all kind of go wrong? Well, I think you have to wonder if they understood the gospel really in the first place. I mean, a lot of times people come up in Christian families or in Christian contexts and they engage in outward conformity. You, you would think they would have understood the message, but they didn't quite get it. And what they got instead was, if I behave this way, people will affirm me. You see that a lot in the homeschool world, of which Josh Harris was a part. Uh, his father, I believe, was an elder in a large church in uh, uh, Maryland. Uh, he was a homeschooler, or received some notoriety and uh, fame through I Kiss Dating Goodbye or Boy Meets Girl. And that kind of affirmation Come, sometimes it makes it tempting to play the game, so to speak. And then, you know, he was discipled by the lead pastor at that church, and so there was all this pressure on him, and as long as he conformed, everything was great. But the problem is, is if you really haven't embraced Christ and had a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ, and you haven't been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sooner or later you get tired. You, you think, if I do this and I do that, things will work out and they, they don't work out. And you live in a fallen world, and you, you've never quite understood it all, and eventually you get tired of playing the game. Now, Josh Harris, in his case, I think he was much more gracious than some when he eventually came out and denied the faith. Others, not so much. You, you look at Rhett and Link. Uh, I, they're coming out of Campus Crusade. They're the YouTube personalities. They, uh, you know, I think when their notoriety reached a certain point to expand their market, Sooner or later, they had to uh, open themselves up to a wider audience, and there was money and fame at stake, and so they walked away. And they didn't walk away so nicely. Uh, Marty Sampson with Hillsong, when you read his comments, you really do under wonder if he understood the faith. You know, he talks about, well, miracles don't happen that much anymore, and nobody talks about that, or does God send really nice people to hell? And you could see that, well, first of all, miracles are miracles because they're rare, not because they happen every day. And God doesn't send anyone to hell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't send nice people. He doesn't send believing people to hell. We're all sinners. He doesn't send nice people to heaven. And so some of the questions that Marty asked really revealed a lack of understanding of the basics of the Christian faith. And in the end, if I had to pull a verse out of the scriptures that kind of speak to this, it would be 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were not of us. Hmm. Outwardly, they appeared to be Christians. But this is where you get into the whole perseverance of the saints thing. Eventually, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. And the fruit that they're bearing would be inconsistent with someone who has really trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, so that kind of brings me to my next question kind of in that. Um, and it's something that uh, we definitely discuss with our students a lot. And it's really, can you lose your salvation? Well, that's a great question. Um, you can't lose what you never had. You know, uh, Jesus in John chapter 10, you know, that's the whole I am the good shepherd passage. And he talks about that no one can rip us from his hand. Mm -hmm. And then he says, and the father is greater than I, and no one can rip you from his hand. And when you think about it, if you're in Christ's hand and you're in the father's hand, no one's coming in there to yank you away. Mm -hmm. And you can't even yank yourself away because the salvation wasn't yours to get or to give. Anyway, it was a gift and so no one can snatch you out of God's hands. That's the whole eternal security uh, concept or the whole eternal security thing. Once saved, always saved. 
I think a passage that many people overlook that really speaks to that and even lays out the theology of that is in Romans chapter 8. We've all memorized Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. But in Romans 8, 35, in that same flow of thought, in that same passage, you read this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't do anything. He did it, right? And he goes on to say in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take you from God or your salvation from you. And and the context of that is is seen. You see this in Romans uh, 8, 29 through uh, 31. And it says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is with us, who can be against us? It is God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It doesn't say that some he foreknew he, he called and some whom he called he justified and some of those that he called and justified he glorified. It's all. If you're saved, if you're justified, you will be glorified. You cannot lose your salvation and no one can take it away. And you just can't miss that. John 6, Jesus says, those who believe in me, I will raise up on the last day. He says, you cannot come to me unless the Father draws you. You cannot come to me unless it has been appointed or granted by the Father. If you're a believer, you stay a believer. No one who, who, who believes that Christ is the Son of God, God the Son, and surrenders to him can lose their salvation. That's the whole, there are people who appear to be Christians. They act like Christians, but that outward appearance may be because they fail to understand and embrace the gospel in the first place. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to uh, back to when I was a young Christian, and I'm I'm looking at some of these people um, that are walking away, and, and even some people that you know I'm I'm reading my Bible and I'm seeing that like these people should bear fruit um, in their life, but I'm looking, I'm like I don't know if they really bear fruit, but like everybody at church loves them and they're they're just awesome people, and then it turns out that they do walk away from the faith and, and those things, and so. I remember for myself thinking like, oh man, like maybe they just weren't ever Christians, but that always seemed like something that was like taboo um, to say in the church. Like, oh, I don't, I don't think they were ever saved. So would you say that these people were probably never saved in the first place? Um, Because they definitely seemed that way or they were able to at least convince a lot of people that they were saved. And so, so would you say they, they just never were saved? I would, you know, What's the old saying? Appearances can be deceiving. And I've kind of alluded to that a little bit already, but let's just look back through the pages of Scripture. So Jesus sent out the 70, right? Two by two. Mm-hmm. They cast out demons. They did all kind of incredible things. Judas was among them. And the clear testimony of Scripture is that Judas was never saved. But he appeared to be saved. They entrusted him as the treasurer for the 12, right? He had the money box that he stole from. So we know Jesus called him the son of perdition, the son of destruction. You know, he was never saved. Simon Magus, he was the sorcerer who came to Christ and, and then he walked with the disciples. And then, 
And then he tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then eventually he ended up opposing uh, the gospel altogether. So outwardly, he appeared to be saved, but he wasn't. Go back to the Old Testament, right? King Saul, the first king of Israel, he's talking to Samuel about your God. Now, he made noises originally like he might have believed in Yahweh. But in the end, we saw, you know, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. You, uh, Samson. Samson outwardly looked like a faithful Jew because his parents had dedicated him and he had taken a Nazarite vow and all that sort of thing and he didn't cut his hair, but he violated his vows. You know, he touched dead things. He, he eventually did cut his hair. And if he became a believer, as you read, uh, you know, the account of his death, it was in the last moments of his life when he said, just give me the strength to push these columns down. Uh, but... I don't think you can look at his morality or lack of morality and say this is a clear testimony of a believer. He married outside the Jewish faith. He, he slept around. He was not, he, he didn't bear the fruit. Um, you know, and so even in the end of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about those who abandoned him. Demas loved this world more than he loved God. And so there are people who outwardly appear to be a believer based on their environment or their family, or maybe they're even self-deceived. But in the end, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. And I guess if I had to give a, a passage on that, you'd see that in Matthew 7, 21 to uh, 23. And what's going on there is Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Father. And, and what he's talking about is this. They said, well, we've done many great things in your name. We've done many mighty works in your name. We've cast out demons in your name. And he says, and I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. There are people who think that religion is an outward thing. They think that it's like legalists. They live by rules. They uh, paint by the numbers, but they've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's possible to believe you're a believer. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 there in the Sermon on the Mount talks about that and not be. And I think that these people fell prey to some sort of Self-deception as people today with sort of the easy believism, just ask Jesus into your heart or just believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll be saved or the whole magic Jesus thing. If you, if, you put your, if you give your heart to Jesus, your life will become better. And then their life doesn't become better. And they sought him not because they were sinners in their minds that needed a Savior, but because they wanted something or someone else. And I think that's what happens a lot within the Christian church today, just due to the poor teaching and the poor understanding of conversion. Yeah, I mean, uh, you quoted uh, Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three. That's uh, I often tell the students, uh, you want to know the scariest verse in the Bible oh, yeah. to me. Um, it's that verse right there, and it's just it's it's the the calling out of you know you might think and profess and say that you're this believer, but if your life isn't bearing that fruit and you never actually know Jesus, um, then that's you know that's the worst thing you can hear, and oh. and having to hear that after you have passed up your opportunity, After I think, is, is, yeah. is the thing that's so scary. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on the the, the prayer, because I yeah. think, especially in youth camps and things like that, the, there's a lot of emphasis put on this prayer. Um, and and I think sometimes even some some of my staff members, like, that help serve these youth, you know, they can be like, oh, I, I said this prayer with the student, and so, like, they're saved, and this is so awesome. And, and my prayer as their youth pastor is, yeah, I, I hope that they are. But we're going to see that bared out in the fruit that comes from their life. And, and, and there's definitely been some students that, uh, you know, we always have the, 
the students that pray every year sure. when they go to summer camp, you know, there's, oh, you know, they're yeah. recommitting again and again and again. And, and it's, it's really getting to the point where we understand that, that, that prayer not said through the Holy spirit and with, with a heart that's actually genuinely accepting Jesus Christ, that that prayer is just empty words. And, and I think that's, uh, that's sometimes a hard thing to, to explain to people. And mm. especially like even, for some youth staff members that have been serving youth youth for years, you know, they see this and it's hard to look at these students that may have graduated and and then turned around and walked away from the faith. And so, you know, I find myself often in those discussions, um, as I'm sure you probably do as well. Um, And so what do you say to these parents and these family members who are heartbroken and bewildered um, by all of this? Like it's like, how do you, you know, what are some words that you use as a pastor to to comfort these people um, as they deal with seeing someone that they genuinely love and care about walk away from the faith? Sure. Uh, let me just clarify a couple things, too, and, and I, I think we're both on the same page. We're not saying that when a kid prays to receive Christ, it's not true. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that whole formulaic prayer thing, but we also know that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it talks about if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe in your God and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I do think that makes room for the so-called sinner's prayer. Unfortunately, what often goes with the sinner's prayer is not much. And I think what you and I are both talking mm-hmm. about is a heart broken before God that cries out to God for salvation. Yep. That said, and I know that we agree on that, um, what do you say, what happens? What do you say to a parent? I mean, it's heartbreaking. I know that you've got small children. I, I had small children. My daughters are in their 20s now, but I remember just praying to the Lord, please save them. Don't, I want to spend an eternity with my child. Or maybe a, a brother or a sister is praying for a brother or a sister, a sibling or, or a parent or whatever. But what do you say is this? First of all, I'd say you go to Romans 12, 15. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And whether you're rejoicing or weeping with a person, you're present with the person. And so you want, to, you, want to, you want to be with them. You want to encourage them. Friends should comfort them. Pastors should counsel them. Be there for them because they're, they're trying to make sense of what went wrong. And, and, and the encouragement would include telling them not to lose hope because we know that one plants, one waters, another harvests, but it's God who yields the increase. And we know that as long as they're alive, there's always hope. Where there's God, there's hope. And so this may be the planting or the watering phase. And there may be a harvest yet to come. And at the same time, as that son or daughter seems to walk away from the faith or that loved one, you want to engage them. You don't want to cut yourself off from them. You don't want to ostracize them. You want to engage them. You want to ask questions, talk to them, dialogue with them. Don't give up on them. Love them. Now, unless they're engaging in some dangerous sin that puts you and your family at risk, evangelize them every opportunity you get. You know, this is where the sacrificial, discerning sacrificial love comes in because this is hard. You know, you've invested your life in them, humanly speaking, and they've denied and rejected the best that you had to offer them. Uh, And we do understand that there are some times where parents haven't done that, where they've just subcontracted the work to the uh, student ministries pastor or whatever, or to the church, and they shouldn't do that. But other times, parents have done everything right. They have explained their faith to their children. They've lived the faith out. They've modeled that faith. They brought them to church. They've affirmed everything. And because it's God who does the saving and not the parent, 
the child did not come to Christ, do not beat yourself up over that again. Mm. It could be one plants, one waters, one harvest, another yields the increase. Wait on the Lord. Never give up hope. Uh, pray like it depends on you and sleep like it depends on God. And I'm not being glib, but wait on the Lord. You know, again, this is going to sound glib. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. This is the salvation is the work of God. It's hard, but you have to remember and to remind yourself that God is in control. This could be a trial for you, a trial for them. And sometimes they just go through a season of spiritual dryness. But in the end, it all comes down to we serve a supernatural saving God. And the story isn't over until they stop breathing. Mm -hmm. And as long as there's life, as long as there's God, as long as there's Christ, there's hope. So abide in Christ, keep his word, and let him do the heavy lifting. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that's the perfect uh, way to put it for whether you're on youth staff, you're serving youth, you have kids, you have grandkids, just friends that you, you know, have been praying for. It's that idea that, that we just never give up. You know, in Amen. youth ministry, uh, I, sometimes I call it the one of the most thankless parts of ministry because, you know, you do a lot of the planting and the watering and, and hoping and hoping and hoping and praying, and, and it's not until 10 or 15 years later you get this invitation to a wedding and you're like, Oh my gosh, like these people, like they love Jesus. And, yeah. um, and I know there's definitely some, some examples of students that, um, I definitely would probably have shook my head and been like, God, I don't know how they could ever become saved. And, mm. um, and God has been like, well, watch me. And, you know, you seeing go. these guys now, it just is a super encouragement to me. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, just, we just can't give up. Like yeah. it's, it's, you pray, 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 right. water, 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 plow, plow, Amen. plow, and, and just keep going um, until they do breathe their last breath. And then, you know, that's the, the rest is up to God. Amen. That's we have to well said, Mark. Well said. Well, we're out of time. The conference is going to start shortly. That's it for today. If you'd like further resources, you can visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. As we wrap up this podcast, if you have any questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith at hillside.org, and I try to answer those emails within a day or so. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to our Grace to Live radio page, gracetoliveradio.org, and uh, there's a Patreon link there. If uh, you'd like to worship with us, if you live in San Jose, we'd love to have you. Uh, we are online. You go to hillside.org forward slash services. And you can watch the worship services online. Before we go, if you're listening to iTunes or if you're listening on Spotify or one of the other podcast platforms, please like us and give us a five-star rating. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We're trying to expand this ministry and reach more people for the kingdom. We release this podcast on Wednesdays, and we'll hope you'll join us next Wednesday. God bless you and keep you, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. This is Keith Crosby and Mark Stickler saying God bless you and we'll see you next time.